Welcome to the e-commerce lab by Ecomsi. This is the place for everything related to Amazon's private label and e-commerce. Learn exactly what you need to start or scale your business. Get insights from the top industry experts who will discuss the latest trends and best practices in the world of Amazon. From choosing products and sourcing from a supplier to setting up your Amazon account and marketing your business, you will hear it here. Let's get started. Here is your host, Vincenzo Toscano. Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Commerce Lab by Ecomsi, the place of everything related to Amazon FBA, private level, and e-commerce. My name is Vincenzo Toscano, your host, founder and CEO of Ecomsi. And today, I bring you another special guest. His name is Steph. Uh, he's one of the co-founders of uh, Operator One, which is one of the top agencies in the space, actually operators as well, when it comes to helping you succeed uh, when it comes to taking your brand and expanding into multiple basically channels and regions so and that's why i wanted to bring steph today because he has a lot of knowledge when it comes to this and we know lately one of the number one topics that we've been discussing in this space is expansion we need to understand how to expand and not only expand in different regions but also different channels and that's what steph uh, with his company operator one specialized on so steph it's a pleasure to have you here on the show my friend how you doing Thanks, Vincenzo. Thanks for, for being here. And I'm um, looking forward to sharing some insights about how to further develop the business. Thank you, Steph. I think before we jump into all the amazing insights, I'm sure you're going to share with uh, your amount of experience when it comes to expansion. Let's dive in a little bit about uh, on, on the topic of who is Steph, how you got into the basically the, the journey of founding uh, Operator One. And then, of course, we dive in into the topic. Yeah. Vincenzo, well, let's start from from the, from the basics. So I'm from the Netherlands, making this call from Italy, been in the Amazon <laughs> e-commerce space already for 30 years. Uh, so a bit of a dinosaur in the industry. Uh, a lot of has changed in those 30 years. Some things become more easy, some things become much more complex, such as advertising. And um, uh, the majority of these years, I was working as an interim manager, basically working inside the companies to look at that. Are you able to sell to the European consumer with a local experience, which is crucial? Uh, so you get our logistics support, etc. And uh, then you realize that nobody is able to do it on a professional level because of time, the culture change, and everything. Yeah. So that's uh, basically why I uh, launched the company. Uh, we designed the infrastructure uh, on a European level uh, ourselves, and now we offer it as a service, so companies don't need to do those investments uh, themselves. So basically, we manage everything end-to-end -end from import of record to merchant of record and everything in between. And uh, yeah, so that's in a, in a, in a nutshell, uh, yeah, my background and what we do today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steph. I appreciate it. Amazing background. Um, now let's dive into the topic, which uh, we actually were having just this quick conversation about going live about how uh, important it's becoming um, having this multi-channel strategy. You know, uh, of course, um, talking about expansion is not only now about going just to Europe, which we know the typical jump from for a US brand, for example, is to go to Amazon Europe. But it's also about thinking about other channels. Uh, and when I talk about other channels, it's other platforms themselves, right? So I, I guess from, let's start with the very first 
question, which I, I guess you get a lot when it comes to talking to clients, which is when is the right time to consider a multi-channel expansion for your business? Like, when do you think you need to take that jump? Yeah. Um, I think from the moment that you realize your advertising budget is no longer in balance with your sales. Mm. Uh, because Amazon is still by far the largest sales channel. So, I mean, here's Amazon and somewhere far, far away is the rest. But the problem is with Amazon is um, what I dislike, what I liked about Amazon previously is that if you were an A, B or a C brand, you had the same opportunity to sell on Amazon. The product page format is the same, five pages, five bullet points. So if you had a good product with a good description, and you, then you would automatically start generating sales because the consumers would say, I don't need this A brand. This B brand is doing exactly what it says, but even lower the price or the same price. So everybody had the same opportunity. Yeah. Nowadays, Amazon is like uh, you know the traditional retailers, like 20 years ago when you went to the shop, you only saw five big brands in the shops and maybe in corner and B brands. That's not again back happening on Amazon. Only the big boys that have the money are able to really survive because they basically buy the market. Uh, so I think for a lot of let's say uh, non-A brands, uh, it is the next growth phase is basically the the competitors of Amazon. Yeah. Now when it comes to uh, making the decision about a uh doing this multi-channel expansion, of course, it's also making the decision about which channel to do the, the first step into, right? Because let's be honest, in the US, you have Walmart, Target, in Europe, you have many other platforms as well where you can do this job on into. So when it comes to making the decision, like how you go about making a, a reasonable, um, um, basically decision-making in terms of, what is the right marketplace after Amazon, which is my main one, to move into that would make sense for a, and get a ROAS back on my money, basically, yeah? Yeah, no, of course. Uh, well, uh, as a sort of a sanity check. Yeah. Because with Amazon, we all are a bit, how uh, to say it, there's a luxurious business that can recognize the size of the market, what kind of sales the competition is doing, etc. Uh, with other marketplaces, you don't have those tools available yet. So uh, it starts with some basic uh, research. What's the total size of the company, right? Do they do 500 million revenue? Do they do 5 billion revenue? Then in which categories are they strong? Uh, because in some categories, there is nothing happening. You can quite easily recognize that. So yeah. Normal, if you look at the 100 marketplaces that are there in Europe, probably a top 20 for most of the product categories is enough to really uh, start start basically doing some good business. And those yeah. top 20, you then decide on the market position, the revenue in general, and the category strengths in the sense of, you know, how much are they promoting, how large is the catalog, etc. And from there, you're able to recognize the little bit old school way of Amazon, who are my competitors? Can I win on content, price, or on quality? And from there, you can start recognizing, okay, from the 20, who are my top three? And then yeah. basically start calculating back or planning back, okay, what do I need to have in-house to be able to start supplying those marketplaces? Awesome. Uh, and when it comes to doing the jump into these marketplaces, I guess you also get a lot of the question about which are the pros that I should be doing the jump 
uh, with, right? Like, especially a brand that has multiple products within the catalog, sometimes it could be challenging about which one to prioritize, especially on the logistical side about how do I develop my inventory to basically lay, now give it a try to Walmart, for example, or give it a try to X platform. So when it comes to the decision-making within your business about choosing which product to use as a, yeah, as a tester for new marketplaces, would you agree maybe the best route to go is to go with your hero products or you're more the type of person that will go right and going with the hero product is what the data says. Like, what is your take on that when it comes to expansion? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I, I, I would love to say, you know, for every company it's the same, uh, but it's not. Um, but what we also always do is we start with the top selling items. Uh, because uh, that doesn't really only mean that there is enough stock, but also that there is mm -hmm. continuously flow of stock. Uh, mm -hmm. If you start with products that they don't buy too much, often in case, for example, the sales would increase, then they're not really prepared or having you know, a recurring uh, business. Uh, so yeah. we start with the market research on the top sellers, see if the top sellers make sense. In case they don't make sense, obviously, then we have the next batch. So often we, what we do is we, we basically cut uh, the whole catalog in three batches, top sellers, selection B, and let's say selection C. And from there, we basically plan what we think is the most realistic way to start promoting and generating revenues. Very good. And, and, and I guess something that I'm sure you encounter a lot is that once you go through all this process and you decide to go on, on a specific marketplace, we could also argue that other decision you have to make is how you adjust you, your um, your economics when it comes to that specific marketplace. Because let's be honest, the expenses are going to be different, the competition is going to be different, the cost per click. And I see this a lot of times, like people think that because you have a profit margin of, let's say, 30% on Amazon, that will guarantee you have also 30% on our marketplace. But that's completely not true. It's going to vary significantly. And most likely you, from experience of doing this with multiple brands, uh, you usually see brands that have different economics when it comes to the marketplace, different profit margins and so on. So what is your take on that? How you navigate that complexity of having different price points? Yeah. Well, um, if you've never done it, it's complex. If you did it, like <laughs> yeah. we've been doing it for 10 years, it's not that complex because we basically have Excel sheets, or let's say spreadsheets where we put in the data and immediately yeah. it shows you per product, per country and per channel, what are your receivables? Uh, because yeah. obviously uh, you need to understand your margins. Um, uh, you need, you want to have to, you, if you have the delivery, and still the market for which you want to sell. You focus on one side, obviously, with the high sellers, but also the products that are most profitable. Profitable from a perspective that you have more margin to spend on uh, on, on marketing campaigns if the marketplace offers that uh, too uh, in general, uh, or in general, uh, or it's just the profit itself. So when you look at, uh, if you ask how we normally do it, it starts with, okay, understanding where is the biggest market. Right, because in the end, everybody wants to make revenue, top revenue. Exactly. That's basically what everybody is constantly looking at. How much money can I make from a revenue perspective? Mm -hmm. Because if you maybe have one channel that solves a bit with the highest margin, market size, in that case, say revenue, and then we start calculating back. Okay, 
what kind of operation do you need to have set up? What are your warehouse costs? What are your logistic costs? What are the commissions? What are the average returns in your category? What are the return costs in that specific country? From there, you can take all kinds of averages until you have a good idea what you are receiving back for product per market per country. And then you can start again looking again at the top view from, okay, we started with these 20. These five are not suitable for Austria, but these 15 are good for, for Austria. But the other product for, for France, everything is good. Sort of a soft launch, how we, are, we often approach yeah. it. You start teasing, testing the market with low operational pressure, no risk of, let's say, losing money. And uh, from there, basically start building. Because also what yeah. everybody always says, okay, e-commerce is fast money. I look at Casio, fast money, billions <laughs> in it. Let's scale, and then you actually figure out it's super complex. And we are burning money on every part of the business. And uh, for big exactly. companies, they can have a strategical reason to be a top leader. But the most of the company owners I know, actually, they like it when they make money. And they don't like it when they don't uh, not, when they are losing money. <laughs> And for us as a company, it's also you know better to really talk to somebody that really feels the win or the loss. So from that perspective, we are always trying to uh, find a suitable way uh, with also the entrepreneurial approach. Like I said, we are also entrepreneurs. We are not an agency that sells hours. Our really job is to make sure volumes are being pushed towards our operation and that everybody's making money. Awesome. So now when it comes to this uh, expansion, um, I, I guess throughout your years of experience in the field, you have identified some patterns. And what I mean by patterns is that certain regions and certain marketplaces tend to be uh, the ones that give you the highest rate of success when it comes to expansion, right? So my question is basically for all those sellers basically watching this and listening this episode today, like have you identified certain regions and certain marketplaces uh, that basically once you're kind of established on Amazon, those regions and marketplaces would definitely be the next uh, phase into your journey. Like have you identified certain patterns that usually work after Amazon or consistently? Well, let me, let me address two points. If you're thinking you can buy a Lamborghini because you are selling on the marketplace, forget, forget about it. You're not going to be rich and you're not going to have a four-hour work week from Thailand. Exactly. Not gonna happen. You have to work all day, every day, think, watch the market, invest, lose money, learn again and start over again. And then maybe in five to ten years from now, uh, you're able to make some good money. Exactly. Exactly. That's the first point. <laughs> but the second point. Very important. I think in every country there are uh, some channels that are really developing quickly. And mm -hmm. that's uh, often what you see if when a, a market, uh, let's say a sales channel is developing uh, and they re do it really fast, uh, they're going really with hundreds of percent per year, you know something is happening there. So as an example, with to go back to Amazon, when Amazon launched Amazon Business, uh, mm -hmm. you already know it's going to do something. Because if a company where a million people work and does a billion revenue say, we are going to invest to make exactly. the <laughs> professional wear big, that's going to happen something. Same as when you see uh, there is going to be an investment round in other marketplaces and they say, we want to increase our furniture or we want to increase that. 
there's an opportunity there because they are going to hire people, they're going to invest. So for sure, there's an opportunity also, also there. If you're in a luxurious position that uh, you don't have a preference for which product or which category and you basically want to start from, from zero, find anything that doesn't have a plug, one, and has, uh, it doesn't need any fitting, and, uh, and people, let's say, rebuy every year or every two years because all the products is used or the design yeah. is no longer really suitable. And then it all sounds a little bit, yeah, that sounds really vague to me. But if you want to start a business, make for yourself, and you're in a luxurious position that you don't have a preference, like I just said, you can make for yourself a sort of a SWOT analyze, sort of a funnel. Okay, so every time that you think of a product, it goes through your funnel. Can I make enough margin? How much returns are happening within this category? And then every time you, you, you basically put 100 products to that funnel, and then in the beginning, you have a 50% success ratio because you don't know how e-commerce yeah. in general works. Then you have some experience so you can recognize, no, it doesn't work like that. There are returns or people complain or the margins are too low or there's a lot of advertising budget necessary. Then you're able to really improve your funnel until you actually have a really good flow. Let's say not a flow, but let's say steps before you enter, before you basically end up with a product saying, okay, uh, if I put 100 products in it, only two actually have a chance of succeeding because I really checked on all those different levels. And then you actually know you can make some money for the next few years. Right. Right. I love the fact that 100%. 100%. I, I, what I love about your approach is like it's all about the perspective of giving the priority to profit first because I, I think um, the big mistake we see uh, a lot, especially. Um, uh, a few years back when everybody was only focusing on scale, scale, revenue, revenue, but then the numbers were read all over the place. But the fact that you go now on a more methodical way, making sure first you build the foundation and build on top of that, I think it's a very, um, you know, it's, it's a very valid approach and I 100% agree with them. Um, now, when it comes to this, we also need, need to be mindful that when we start expanding to other marketplaces, uh, one thing that people uh, finds very difficult is also understanding how to understand the the consumer behavior on that specific market, a specific region. Because if you come, for example, from the U.S. market, from Amazon USA, and you expand to Amazon Europe, especially taking consideration that you're, there are so many different countries, so different languages and cultures, you need to basically attack the customer in the, from different perspectives. So I guess my question to you, uh, with this quick intro I'm basically trying to make is like when it comes to international expansion, are you a big believer that uh, you need to have local people working uh, for you on those specific regions? Or you could realistically do it uh, yourself from, let's say, the USA, try to enter the European market. What is your take on that? Well, I make this call from Tuscany. Uh, well, I'm from the <laughs> Netherlands because I attract people <laughs> from all over Europe uh, because I don't believe in the European strategy. It's only local. If I yeah. would be from the Netherlands or from France and I started selling in the US, I would have no idea what holidays there are, if mm -hmm. trends are going on, how people are behaving, etc. But it goes even a lot further, right? So um, if you would translate keywords, which often people, we work with US companies a lot that want to go into Europe, and then they say, oh, these are the top uh, uh, key phrases. And I say, well, if yeah. you then 
translated like that, that's no way people look for that solution in that specific country. So uh, that's one thing. So you need to have a local that does the research. Then secondly, you have the uniform approach. If you work with five freelancers, they all want to look at it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So what I always say, make sure those people are all sitting in one room and that they actually look together what are the benefits, what's the brand story. And from there, you have a uniform approach, but still with a localized activity. Then you're able to succeed because otherwise, uh, for sure, the local consumer will recognize that you are not a local player, and uh, and a lot of let's say sales is influenced with the trust that you're able to buy it from a local company, so you can easily return it. The customer support is in the same language, etc. So uh, yes, uh, after doing this for 12 years, you need to always focus on the local experience. You can look at the operational from a central perspective. And that's, that's something you always need to consider. It's more that you need to put a team in front of it exactly. Spain. That's not what I'm saying. You can have a UMP in, a, let's say, operational setup, but mm -hmm. the approach and the marketing plan and the research in general is always country specific. Yeah, yeah, super important. I strongly believe that localization is a must. Like, a, and I bet you see this mistake so many times, even when shopping. You see people just using Google Translator, and it, it, it's such a big mistake because sometimes the direct translation doesn't really reflect the right meaning or the benefits. And let's be honest, like local people refer sometimes to products on an informal way, what we call slang. And if you don't have the local people understand how people talk that on an informal way, like you're not basically targeting yeah, you're right the avatar. Yeah, but I exactly. also see it, I mean, obviously Amazon, for example, <laughs> but also other marketplaces say they check on it, but they often don't, right? You have no. a plus page and then in the picture you have the five bullet points and then the five bullet points are English. Then I already know a German is not going to like it. Exactly. I mean, they see that. And then obviously there's a German company advertising on the same page that is 100% look and feel in German. So yeah, then obviously, I don't know. So I still have to explain to people who <laughs> do you think the consumer will buy with the English good points or the German. And then when I say it, they say yes. I say, why don't you do it? And then obviously it's often a sort of a comfort zone, right? So uh, uh, they just try, test it, and then I really look in the details of, of, of why something is succeeding. And then you basically come to, uh, to the point that, you know, it's not a side project. There's a lot of competition exactly. on Amazon, 2.5 million sellers active in the US, 1.1 million sellers active in, in, in Europe. Uh, so that's already a lot less. Huh? So the competition is less because it's also shattered over nine countries. But it doesn't mean that in your category, you don't have 200 local uh, heroes that actually speak the language. So if you come, for example, from the US into Europe, you have a big benefit that you can bring a product with 5,000 reviews in a country where no other product has 5,000 mm -hmm. reviews because it doesn't really happen in Europe that much. Yeah. We immediately are foreseen as a, a big leader, but if you then don't finalize the local details, then at, at the end, you're not going to win. Exactly. Uh, now, when it comes to uh, this expansion, of course, um, 
there's a lot of complexity that sometimes comes with that. Like we're talking also on the logistical side and also the compliance and the legal side. So I guess from that perspective, I'm sure a lot of people get overwhelmed with that, especially when you tell them, like, if you want to do the whole, let's say, pan-European program with Amazon, like you need to be compliant with so many different countries at once. So uh, what is your advice when it comes to like how how, how long you should give yourself in terms of time approximately to prepare for this? Like, are we talking like, let's say I want to jump, if I want to launch to Europe, I need to give at least six months uh, to be compliant and, and say them everything? Or what is your average time frame to do an expansion? I know it's a difficult question because no, so many more parts. But... If you're a company that has a very large catalog come from a microwave to shoes and you're the manufacturer, mm -hmm. it's going to be complex. If you have product in the same product category, often you're it's much more easy to go to the, the compliance talk. Also, mm -hmm. if you work, for example, with white label manufacturers in China, for example, they often already have the certificates and just you need to make sure that everything is registered in Europe. So that whole process can take a few weeks to a few months. It's not that difficult. And once it's all, it's, a, it's only not difficult when you outsource it to a specialist. If you need to start figuring things out, forget about it. Uh, and, so, and also that's not the cost, right? So you want to set it up and, and you are, are there. Um, uh, but so, yeah, you need to invest. And yes, it takes you several months to really start figuring things out. And a lot of, um, um, uh, you can't just hire one person that manages it because that one person doesn't understand logistics international and accountancy international and compliance and marketing. That's just not okay. to apply. <laughs> so what yeah. I advise as you, for example, US company, work with a project group, make different people responsible, one project leader that oversees it. And then you're able to, let's say, with some basic understanding, really develop something good. Awesome. But um, you need to, what I, sometimes I talk to Americans, I say, oh, I wish I had the opportunity to understand to <laughs> back in time, and I would start selling on Amazon 25 years ago. And say, <laughs> yeah. Amazon Europe, you are in exactly the same position, and now you actually have to experience from a marketing perspective and how the whole business in general works, but you can't expect to go from, from zero to hundred in the same month, right? So it will take exactly. you some time, but if you invest in a few years, you're going to have a good business. Why? Because Amazon Europe uh, is growing 40% faster than amazon.com. And to give you a little bit of insight, Amazon US has how many uh, uh, users? Like 250 million or something like that. Yeah, I'd say right whole uh, US work like live like 300 yeah, million. Exactly, exactly. And you have Germany's 80, uh, Germany's 80 million. Uh, UK is like 65. France is like 60. Italy is like 60. Spain is like 60. Poland is 40. Netherlands is 80. Belgium is 12. I mean, we are almost doubling in size versus the US market and are increasing uh, quicker the revenues than Amazon.com. So you are exactly in the same position, but you exactly. need to understand you can't do it with your current team. You need a new team with new experience and a local presence. Then you are in a luxurious position as you were 27 years ago if you would be the first one selling on Amazon. <laughs> exactly. So in conclusion, stop the excuses and get to work. That's basically... <laughs> yeah. um, now to conclude... Exactly, exactly. 
I guess now my final question is taking consideration all these amazing insights you've been sharing with us today. Like, I, I bet sometimes people also wonder, like, how do I measure the success of this? Like, I'm sure sometimes you do the expansion and doesn't work and you need to, you know, retreat and, and regroup and launch again. So I guess what I'm trying to say with this is like, how long you give yourself in terms of time? I know this is also going to vary depending on your budget and your mission, but overall, I'm sure you, you have a time frame. Like, let's say I, I jump for the first time in Europe, like how long you give yourself to measure if you're actually going to be successful or not on that region? Yeah. I think after six months, you're able to recognize the revenues you will be doing in the six months after. But okay. the first six months are too early to say something about mm -hmm. if you're able to succeed. Then okay. also keep in mind that some products will sell in France, some products will sell in Italy, exactly. and that's fine. Mm -hmm also diversifying risk and opportunity and then in general it takes you up to a year to really understand the the market so you need to be aware that you need to start invest with the objective to say i want to reach my break even level for example after 12 months if you have that in mind then uh, you can succeed awesome thank you very much steph so yeah, I mean, with this, I think we touch on very interesting topics and, and insights regarding, you know, multi-channel expansion. I'm sure people is going to have many more questions for you, which is why I want to give you this last minute so you can tell us more about, you know, how people can actually get involved with Operator One. I know you guys, uh, this is basically what you do. This is your bread and butter. You specialize on this. So how people can get in contact, uh, ask any questions if they have, and also explore how to expand with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity. So we have a very easy domain. It's o1.eu. Yeah, so, nice. Uh, very good domain, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I spent literally hours and hours on auction sites to find a good domain. It's uh, now I have a two-character domain, but basically not happening. So o1 stands for operator1.eu, Europe, because we are the European operators. So basically, brands, if you're from the US or from the UK or anywhere else, the only responsibility that you have is making sure we have stock, you ship to one location, you invoice to one location, and we are responsible end-to-end -end in cross-border sales. So like I said, uh, so we have a very easy domain, it's o1.eu. Uh, we act as an importer record, a merchant of record, and everything in between. So basically that means if you're from the US or from the UK, you only need to make sure that we have stock and we manage everything end-to-end -end in up to 27 countries and up to 100 marketplaces. Uh, so if you want to scale without uh, too much hassle and do it directly on a professional level, uh, you can work with us. We do this whole process for 5% of the GMP and then we multi-beta and it starts at uh, 1,800 per month. And if companies are interested in scaling, check out the website. There is a free market research that we can do for you. Just leave your email address and I'll uh, get in touch and see what we can do for you. Awesome, Steph. So thank you so much for that. It's been a pleasure yeah. to have you here on the show. And definitely have you, looking forward to having the next ones to keep discussing amazing things such as this. Yeah, so it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Angel. See you in the next one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The E-Commerce Lab by EcomC. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you are at it, we would appreciate it if you could leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 
that will make it easier for others to find out about the show and benefit from it. Want more? Visit our website at www.ecomc.com where you can get your first consultation for free. Or find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at ecomc.com.